What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian, and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it He called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention. How Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. How many of you have seen that video on Facebook by chance or through YouTube or had it yeah, posted on your wall at some point in time? You know, uh, first time I saw it, and well, this time too, it just, some of the things he says just gives you kind of those goosebumps. But I got a question. Is he right? Interesting. 
interesting because, you know, um, the first time I watched it, I was like, you know, he is right. And then I started thinking, you know, is he really right? Because when we say the word religion, what are we talking about? And, and what do we use for our guide and what do we use for our direction to know that he is right or wrong? Because there's so many things that can make us feel good. And there's and that, the way he spun the poetry and the way he said things. And, and you know, it all, it all kind of came together. And I actually got to see a, an interview with him afterwards because this video became very controversial. There's quite a few people that put positive comments about it and then very negative comments as well. And I understood both sides of it. And the negative comments came from this. The fact is, is how do you define religion? Because did Jesus come to abolish religion, or did he come to abolish self-righteous religious people? Because there's a difference between the two. At least in my mind there is. Because when Jesus came, he came, and he went to, when he was born, and he grew up, he went to the temple, he practiced worship in the church, he knew the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, he instituted two of the main things that churches are supposed to do with baptism and the Lord's Supper. So did he really come to abolish religion? Or is it just self-righteousness? And luckily, like I said, I got a chance to read a video or uh, an interview with this guy, and what it said is, he came from the Mars Hill movement. If you know anything about Mark Driscoll up in the Seattle, there's actually a Mars Hill here in Albuquerque as well. But their thinking of the definition of religion is self-righteous religious people. And so it really clarified that because at the beginning I was, well, you know, it, it sounds good, but is it entirely true? And the problem is that sometimes we will take things and we'll jump right on a bandwagon. And, and I'm not saying that, that people in here don't think and don't, don't process and, and those kind of things. But there are people that are like that. They will, they will take something without thinking about it because they just heard it. And that's all that matters. And they'll hear those things and they'll hear about, well, th- this, is, uh, this is what everybody on Facebook is talking about. So I'm going to jump on that bandwagon too and, and not really think about it. You know, I look at some of the other things. Another popular thing to, to do right now is to really bag on the church. The, the idea of the church is negative in today's society, even among Christians. And the idea of meeting as a church is a negative thing and saying, well, the church is nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what? They're right. I'm a hypocrite. Okay, I will admit it. I say one thing, and there's times I do another. That is the definition of a hypocrite. And we all are. And the reason for it is because we're human. But that is the main thing. Well, I'm not going to church. It's full of hypocrites. Well, guess what? There's room for one more. Come on. Come join us. You know, that is the thinking we need to have. Um, and and our, our whole mindset is wrapped around the things that we hear and what's popular in culture. You know, when somebody starts bagging on the church, let me tell you a little something about the church. The church is Christ's bride. The church is the body of Christ. If anybody were to bag on my wife, you're going to get punched in the throat. I'm going to let you know that right now, okay? And I think Jesus feels the same way. Don't be bagging on my bride and support her and be a part of it. The church is being used by God for so many different things. And there's so many things I've read about what the church is being used for. First, God used the church to display his wisdom. He used it to display his fullness, to show his power and bring the church together, to prepare people, to grow them, and to change them, to create unity in the faith. Would you say that the church right now is creating unity in the faith? A lot of time, no, it's not the case. It's because we're constantly doing this and we're not hearing what God is saying. We're not reading what he is saying. And you know, it all comes down... I think really to what 
we've been taught. The things we listen to, the things we're a part of, and what we've been taught. And generally we get taught, if you're fortunate, it's from grandparents and parents and it gets passed down the line. But if you weren't fortunate in that area, God has spoken to you in some other way. Even to the point of having a Bible sitting in your jail cell. And that's how he speaks to us. And that's how he spoke to your grandparents who passed it on down. is through his word. And it just it, uh, happened to work out this way. It, it wasn't really planned to begin with that the Gideons would be here on the day that we are going to be talking about the Bible. We're going to be talking about the Bible today because over the next uh, six weeks, taking a break for Super Bowl Sunday, who, which unfortunately the Packers will not be playing in, and I was very devastated last week, and I appreciate you guys respecting my space and not calling me and rubbing it in. But um, the, uh, the whole thing was is that what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go through the things that we believe and why we believe them. Why we exist as a church, as the church, and what we're going to do is, uh, is go over some of these things. And the first thing it all starts out with, the very foundation that we believe, everything that we believe in, is from the Bible. Because if you take away the Bible, you take away the entire Christian message. If you take away the Bible, you take away... Listen to some of the other things the Bible says about the purpose of the church is. It's to worship God. It's to study His Word. It's to pray. It's to love one another. It's to help each other. It's to t- partake in baptism in the Lord's Supper. It's to learn how to live as godly people. It's to be equipped and to evangelize the world. But if you take away this fact that, that God's Word is our guide, if you take that away, if you take away the fact that it is our instruction manual, if you take them away, it is God's love letter to us, if you take those things away, you've taken away the entire Christian message. Now I would ask you a rhetorical question here. How many of you believe the Bible's true? Okay, rhetorical means you don't have to answer, but that's okay. That's all right. That's okay. I threw that in and it was just a word no, nobody heard. I understand who listens and who doesn't. Um, the idea is most of us in here, if not all of us, believe the Bible's true. But why? If I were ever to come up to you, and I were Joe Blow off the street, and you're talking Christian spiel to me, and I say, well, why do you believe that? Well, it's in the Bible. Well, why do you believe the Bible? What's your answer going to be? And that, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to come out of your mouth? But generally, we're going to say, well, I believe it by faith. Well, I believe by faith that it's not true. Now what? What are you going to say? How do we know that the Bible, I mean, the basis of the reason that you are sitting here this morning is Jesus Christ, and we find out about Jesus Christ through the Gospels, and the Gospels are found in the Bible. The Bible. It's been really fun. Um, My kids got uh, What's in the Bible with Buck Denver. It's a DVD series that Phil Vischer, the guy who created VeggieTales, maybe you've heard of VeggieTales, um, he created VeggieTales, and now he's created a new thing called What's in the Bible with Buck Denver? And there's, so far, there's six videos that are out. There's five about the Bible, and there's one about Christmas. And my kids, they choose to watch that over anything else. And I'm not even joking. They're learning more in those five videos about the, the, the first, you know, part of the Old Testament than I did in all of college, and I went to a Bible college. Okay, so uh, these videos are impressive that the fact that my kids remember him, you can go ask Peyton, my five-year-old, what the Pentateuch is, and he'll tell you. And most of you are like, what? You know, the Septuagint, the Davidic Covenant, all these things he's learning from puppets on a DVD, but he's loving it. 
And they're eating it up, and they're just so excited about it. Um, and it's funny, as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about some of the things, maybe some of you don't know very much about the Bible. So what we're going to do is we're going to take an entire um, Bible college degree, and we're going to shove it all into about 20 minutes. Okay, so this is going to be one of those things that makes your head spin. You may need to listen to it again online, um, but first thing I want to do is I want to ask the question, what's in the Bible? What is the Bible? If you see in your notes, the Bible means the collection of sacred writings of the Christian religion comprising the Old and New Testaments. Other definitions say this, a book or collection of books regarded to be authoritative on a topic. I'm not sure about you, but I have a grilling Bible. Tells me how to be the barbecue grill master. You know, that's, a, that's considered Bible. But if you take either one of those definitions, either one of those definitions, and you look right here, it says that the Christian Bible would have to be the authoritative topic or authoritative reference on a topic. Would you say that this would be our reference for Christians? Would this be the authoritative thing that we go back to? I mean, it is an amazing book. Now, the Christian Bible, in case you didn't know that already, has 66 books in it. 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, starting with Genesis and ending in Malachi, and then 27 in the New Testament, starting with Matthew and ending in Revelation. The Bible was written by 40 different authors. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because if somebody were to ask you, what is the deal with the Bible? And, you know, you say, I believe it by faith. And they say, well, what else is it that you can believe? Because I believe it's not true. This gives you a little bit of background. 40 different authors, from political leaders to fishermen, from military generals, generals to tax collectors. It was written over 1,500 years, the span of time it took to write the Bible. The span of time, it was written also in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, okay? You take those, and then you also think that it was written on four different continents, or sorry, three different continents, and it was written in times of war and in times of peace, and it covers 100, not even 100, hundreds of controversial topics. You take that, you take this Bible, you'd assume, because if you sat down in today's society, if you sat down in today's society and said, okay, what I want you guys to do is I want 10 authors from the same time period, from the same walk of life, from the same language, I want you all to sit down and I want you to write on a subject. Do you think those 10 authors are going to come together on a unified plan and, and come together with a great message? No, they wouldn't. But yet over 1,500 years and 40 different authors, the Bible has a unified plan of God's message and God's plan for humanity. It's pretty amazing if you really sit down and think about it. Imagine today, imagine today that that were the case. I mean, we would not be able to get authors together. And some people say, well, how is that possible? Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, that's found in your bulletin up here on the screen as well. Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. It came from, or not from the human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from who? God. Came through God. When we look at the Bible and we say, well, how in the world can we possibly believe it? Well, it's because it came straight from God. And there's evidence throughout it that says that it did. Other evidence that you might ask, there are scientific facts that are recorded in the Bible about the earth being round, which they didn't even believe uh, for a long time, and the way it hung in space, which people didn't even know about space, and all the things that went around and how it all worked. 
how everything came together, but yet there's so many scientific facts that are found in the Bible that have come true and been proven true as technology is allowed. There's prophecies in the Bible that were written hundreds of years before they ever came true, and they know they were written as hundreds of years, not because it was in the Bible, but because they found the documents dated back to those hundreds of years before those things came true. The Bible is an amazing, amazing book. And there's some other cool stuff really that's about it. You know, it's a book of not only history and literature and rules, so many times we think that it's all about rules, but it's a book of poetry, it's a book of humor, it's a book of romance, biography, songs, journals, advice, and stories. Do you know it was the first book ever printed on the printing press? It's the best-selling book of all times, and there's portions of it, if not all of it, have been recorded into or translated into over 2,000 different languages. That's pretty impressive. And as Americans, you know, we're pretty fortunate. We have over 30 different translations of the Bible. I can almost bet that there's probably 10 to 15 just in this room alone that somebody's brought in. I've been reading out the New Living Translation. Some of you are like, I don't, that doesn't say that in my Bible, but it's because it's just got so many translations. Um, there's paper and digital copies. How many of you guys have version on your phone? Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and most of you are sitting there playing with your phone. I'm, yeah, you think I think that you're reading the Bible? I know better, okay? I know you're playing Angry Birds. Um, the, uh, the whole idea is, is that there's so many different things that the Bible has to offer us. And, and even, even uh, this whole thing about having a kid's video about it, how awesome is that? Did you know that 25% of Americans own at least five Bibles or more? 25% of Americans. That's crazy. That's just crazy to me. And, you know, looking at it and saying, okay, well, what is the Bible? I think it's a great question that we need to ask because it helps us answer the next two questions. And number, the first one I wanted to ask is, how do we know it's true? How do you know it's true? And second of all, if it is true, is it even relevant today? I mean, it was written almost 2,000 years ago. How could it possibly be relevant in today's time and culture? How do we know it's true? Well, like I said before, most of the information I gave you has to deal with all the, all the things that have happened from, from uh, recording of scientific facts and, and the way the, the authors all came together. It just, it's just one of those things that kind of comes with that. But there's contradictions in it, isn't there? Has anybody ever been told that? Well, how can you believe the Bible? It's full of contradictions. You know who says that? People who have never read the Bible. Because they heard it from some college professor at some point in time because that college professor, professor came in and kind of ruined their Sunday school faith that they learned all about Jesus on flannel graph. And, uh, and this college professor said, well, that can't be true. This is the way it is. And they never really backed themselves up with any sort of real knowledge. And because they didn't, the college professor tore them up because they didn't have any way to answer. How could it possibly be true and have all these contradictions in it? I told you this guy, Lee Strobel, that's going to be coming to the Baptist Convention a State Evangelism Conference next week amazing, amazing. He was an investigative journalist and went through every, he used everything he could to go against the Bible and yet continue to prove it true. And that is just cool to me that God could do that to a guy who all he wanted to do is destroy the Bible. That's amazing. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we could go on and on about this for all year long. We could go through the Bible for all of 2012 and, and just go on what is about the Bible. But like I said, we're trying to cram all this into 20 minutes, so I apologize for that. And uh, there's plenty and plenty of resources. As a matter of fact, in your bulletin, I put two great things to look at. CARM.org, uh, which is Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, as well as uh, 
North Point Ministries out of uh, Alpharetta, Georgia, has a whole thing on the starting points of the Bible and has some great resources for you to look at. All that stuff's free, so I would challenge you to do that uh, even this afternoon if you have a chance to. Like, I'm not going to be watching football because I'm upset, so I'll be doing that. I'll just be studying, studying the Bible because that's what God wants, right? Um, so so we, we look at these things and we, we see how um, they can come together, but there are these these things that people even said, let's just say that somebody came up to you and said, okay, one of the main contradictions I've ever heard somebody tell me about was uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, there's a sign above his head. There's a sign above his head. All four Gospels record different things that the sign said. (gasps) I know. That destroys the entire Bible because it says four different things above his head. One says the king of the Jews. One says this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The other one says, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And the other one says, here is the king of the Jews. I know. I know it's all so different. Yet, that is a contradiction that people will bring to you. Another one is in Zechariah 9.9. It says that Jesus is going to ride in on a colt with a donkey when he comes into Jerusalem. Now, two of the Gospels only says he rides in on a colt. And then Matthew says he comes in on a colt and a donkey. That, that's very definitive, and it can destroy Christian faith. So these are things that are very important for us to know. My thing is, is anytime anybody's asked me that before, I says, you see, there's, there's empty chairs in this room. Anybody have any idea how many empty chairs are in this room? Too many for me, honestly. But the, uh, the idea is, is that if somebody were to walk in, and some people were outside waiting, and they said, well, hey, is there any empty chairs in there? And they say, yeah, we got two. Come on in. Are there two empty chairs in here? Yes, there are. What if there's a family of 10? And that family of 10 said, hey, can you guys go and check and make sure there's enough room for us to sit? Is there 10 empty chairs in here? Yes, there is. Is that two different stories, though? If one person said there's two empty chairs and the other person said there's 10 empty chairs? Not really. But that's what they're doing. Is they're saying, well, one person's perspective and another person's perspective, they're not the same, so that means they contradict. No, they work in harmony together if you don't let your mind think they contradict. And that's kind of the same way it is here. Just because a gospel author wrote it that says something different than, than the fact that it says uh, king of the Jews. You know, king of the Jews is pretty much the, the deal right there. The other words, well, somebody didn't record it and somebody else did. That, that doesn't change it. And the thing is, is a lot of people, a lot of naysayers will hang themselves or hang, like, yeah, they will hang themselves. They'll hang their beliefs on that type of things. And once again, it goes back to the fact that people just don't read the Bible. And they can't defend themselves. And the people that, that want to do it, they'll believe whatever they want. And it even goes back to that video. People can say, yeah, I hate religion. I hate the idea of it. And then they'll lump the church into that, and they'll lump Christianity into that, and they'll lump Jesus into that. And then they, they take the video like this, and they separate that. Well, it's because they haven't taken time to read the Bible to see that, that Jesus didn't come to abolish religion. He came to destroy self-righteous religious people and that thinking. And so these are things that we have to see. And I think part of the reason why people really want to discredit the Bible isn't only because they haven't read it, but because people know some of the things that are in there, and there's an authoritative view that God has, and that he is an authority over us, and nobody likes authority. I mean, we have a couple of police officers in here. Is anybody happy when a police officer tells you that you can't speed? I, I don't think anybody's like, hey, I'm so glad to see you guys. Yolanda, thank you for pulling me over. I, I was driving much too fast, and I was 
I had some real safety issues in my car, and because you slowed me down and you gave me a ticket, my life is now better. Thank you. Nobody does that, okay? That's just not the way we think. And it goes from political figures to authoritative figures to even our parents. There's, there's so many things. And a lot of times, the reason why we have such a problem with authority is because authorities will let us down. Authorities will let us down. And we lump all the things that humans do because most of our authority is human and humans will fail. We've already talked about that. Because of that, because of that very thing, we take all the things that we have for humans and we put them on God's back. Say, well, God, all these people failed us and we know you're going to fail us too, so we're not going to listen to you. I think I can do it better on my own. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to listen to the Bible. I'm not going to do these things. And that's part of the problem. We'd rather not believe the Bible, and hopefully we're right, than believe the Bible and have to have some sort of authority in our lives. So what if it's true? And what if it's something we should be doing? Could it possibly still be relevant today? I mean, 2,000-year-old book. Even though it's the number one best printed book, number one book selling of all time, how could it possibly be relevant today? I mean, those guys didn't have cars. They didn't have the temptations that we have. They didn't have the jobs and the technology that we have. How in the world could it possibly be relevant today? Let me read for you two verses, two passages, excuse me. First passage is found in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. I don't have to say anything else. I really don't. But it says it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. The second scripture is this, 2 Timothy 3. 16 to 17, it says, all scripture is inspired by God, or the NIV version says, God breathed, and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do, uh, uh, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Let me tell you something, huh? God's word is alive. It's alive. It's breathing. It's not dead. God's not dead. He's alive. You know, so many people think that God created the world and stepped back and stepped out. No, He is right there in the midst with us. He is alongside of us. As long as we are willing to turn to Him, He is there for us. If we turn our backs on Him, it's not because He turned His back on us. It's the other way around. We have the choice. The Bible is not a boring book. It is just just as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, it's just as applicable today as it was yesterday. It's probably even more. As we continue to grow with God, it becomes more and more applicable. And it's not a boring book. And if I ever, ever make it seem like it is, shoot me. I don't ever want to get up here and be like, all right, talk in the Ferris Bueller teacher monotone voice. You know, that is not what I, I don't want you guys to be bored and hate it. I hate the fact that people don't like the Bible and don't like God because his followers make him boring. Read the Bible. It's full of guts and glory and sex and all sorts of things. So if you think that it's a boring book, open it up. Get into it. 
see what it has to say. It's got some great stuff in it. It's not here to hold us down. As a matter of fact, John 10.10 says, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Yet God came to give us a life and have it to the full. See, we think on our own that we can do these things. But let me ask you a real simple question. Happiness. That pursuit of happiness. Has anybody actually conquered that pursuit? Has ever fulfilled that dream of being happy? I don't think so. Because everywhere we reach, everywhere we reach, we always want more. We're never happy enough. We're always reaching out, trying to get that next thing and that next thing. Yet God says, this is the devil trying to kill you, trying to destroy you, trying to steal from you, trying to steal your joy away. Let me tell you how you can have happiness. It's all found right in this book. And it's one of those things that, for whatever reason, we've been in church our our whole lives, or we've only been here, this is our first Sunday, For whatever reason, we get confused by that. Because we step out of the church and we don't get into the Word in the morning or we're too busy to do this, we're too busy to do that. And because of it, we forget what God has told us. Or we don't even so much forget, but we're just distracted by what He's told us in His Word. God is not dead and He's very alive and He's right here in our face. And you know, to steal words from a David Crowder song, it says... Our God's not dead. No, He is alive. And maybe you've heard it on the radio if you listen to, listen to some of the different stations. He's living on the inside and He's roaring like a lion. I love those words. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen uh, Chronicles of Narnia. I love C.S. Lewis stuff. I don't really like to read it because I can't understand it. But when they put it into a movie, it's great. And I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And I love the video in the, when, when all the... You know, evil characters are all, you know, doing stuff like that. And he lets out this roar, and everybody stops, and it gets quiet. When God roars and God speaks, because obviously if you haven't seen Chronicles of Narnia, or you don't understand that Aslan is supposed to be God. It's a representation. And that, that idea, when he does that, it's just like, oh, yeah. God's inside roaring like a lion. He is ready to use us and ready to, to take us. To, you know, we did this thing last week, this I am third. If you weren't here last week, we passed out these cards, and there's some over there. And the whole idea is, is that it goes God, other self, because we're all in. And it talks about in, uh, in the book of Matthew as well as uh, in the book of Mark. It's, it talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's about loving God first, about loving your neighbor, and then worrying about you. And the I am third thinking is that we had last week. And I put mine in my wallet. It's right here where my driver's license should be. So if I get pulled over, I'll just say, hey, I'm third. That's it. Um, but... You know, it's something, every time I open my wallet now, I see it and realize where my position is in all of this. That God is first. Others are second. And it changes the way we think and it changes the way we act. And, you know, I think if we really adopt that idea and we take that, and it's not going to be something that's going to happen overnight. There's going to be times that we struggle with it. But being a Christian is not merely just a set of ideas. It's not just about being able to spout off doctrine and recite prayers. It's first and foremost about a loving relationship with the one true living God. And then it's about taking that loving relationship and allowing it to transform us into who God wants us to be. I got a chance this week to, uh, to go down to the radio station. It was very interesting. Um, 
because I got to do a radio interview on Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock, and they were asking a little bit about the church and asking some of the things. And one of the things they asked was where the name Paragon came from. And um, I got to thinking, when, uh, in case you don't know, it means a model of excellence or perfection. And it's not because it's us. It's because Christ is our model of excellence or perfection. And it's like calling it Christ Church, but just not taking that name because all the churches seem to have that name. So we, we found a different name. And in that, it was funny because one of the guys was like, what, what were some of the other ideas that you had? And one of them was Transformers. And I thought, I thought with all the movies out there, that'd be really cool. You know, we have a great logo, stuff like that. But um, just the idea that, that God needs to transform us. It's nothing that we can do. Even though we try, God is the one that is constantly working on us. And it all comes through that relationship that we have. Our relationship with Christ is so much more than just knowing facts about the Bible or just memorizing verses. But the whole idea of being a Christian is having that relationship and becoming a follower of His. And as in following anything, we're going to become more and more like them. And that's what it's all about. It's about us following Christ. God uses the Bible to change us. And he uses worship, and he uses prayer, and he uses suffering, and he uses joy. He uses the Bible to penetrate our hearts, to destroy our defenses, to break down that hard heart that we have, and it changes our motives and intentions to be what it's supposed to be. So this, all to be brought back around to the original question. What do you think of the Bible? What do you think of it? Is it something that you believe fully with your faith? And let me tell you something. If you don't want to be transformed, don't read it. If you want to walk around blind, don't read it. If you don't want his light, if you see in the front of your, uh, in the front of your bulletins, thy word is a light unto my path and a lamp to my feet. And that's what it is. It's a guide. And you know, you think back in those times, the lamp didn't light way far ahead. It wasn't like a spotlight lighting up or headlights on a car. It only went so far. So sometimes you don't know what's going to happen next. But what you do is you just trust what's right in front of you, what God has put there right in front of you for you to be able to see. And you leave up the rest to Him. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. I don't know what you are in your thinking. Maybe you just think that I'm just full of it. And that's fine. You can think that if you want. You're wrong. But um, you can think what you want. My thing is, is that God has made Himself very real. Not only through the Bible, but so many different instances in my life, I know without a doubt that God is real and that He loves me. And the Bible tells me all about it. And I know without a doubt from reading through the Bible, and if you haven't ever done it, I suggest you do it. And I told you already we have reading plans online. Love for you to jump into one of those. 21-day, 100-day, 6-month, and 1-year reading plans. We have them up there for you to, to jump on. Love for you to get involved in that. Wake up every morning and get into God's Word. Even if it's just a verse at a time, get into a daily devotional. If you have that uversion.com on your phone, heck, it'll email it to you. You read your email every morning, might as well read a Bible verse while you're at it. Get involved with what God is doing in you and through you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word that you've given us that you still use to communicate to us today. We thank you that your word is just as relevant in our lives as it was in Paul's and in John's and even in Jesus' life. 
It is there to change us. It is there to transform us into who you want us to be. It has given us history. It has given us poetry. It's given us examples. It's given us stories. But most of all, it's given us an avenue to understand just a little bit more of who you are and why you do what you do. I pray for those that are in here right now, Lord, that maybe they don't know you as their Savior, and they heard this whole uh, testimony about the, the guy in South Carolina and how you worked in his life through one verse in the Bible. And God, how you are, are just constantly working through 40 different authors over 1,500 years to write a book that is so well put together. There's no other explanation that it came, other than it came from you. God, speak to us this morning. And as we lift our worship back up to you, may it not be about us and what we think about this song and how much we like this song, but Lord, how much the words are a prayer to you. We pray it all in your name, Lord. Amen.